God's word. Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Anyone a fan of The Onion? Anyone? Um, you know, <clears throat> I, I love their satirical articles, and it almost seems like the title tells the whole story. You know, for example, six-day visit to rural African visit completely changes. Get ready for it. You know, woman's Facebook profile picture. Anybody? No? Uh, <clears throat> you know, why, why that? What is, what's going on here? Well, no matter how many times I read the full article, and the title does sum it up, no matter how many times I hear it, no matter how many times I share it, it reveals, it reveals what far too often happens when we're helping others, whether in our church, in our community, our home, it all comes back around to us and our image, rather than the people we help. Now, to be sure helping others, being a part of something bigger than ourselves is really good. Um, I think that's actually one of the reasons why God saves people so that he can engage us and inform us and use us in his redemptive plan of a broken world. And yet the ever-present danger lies in the fact that without even re realizing it, we can go about helping others. We can go about serving others in the church and it circles all the way back around to our ego. It can be about my needs, it can be about my gifts, my potential, and slowly we build the case within our hearts and minds as to why we're better, why we're more important, why we're more spiritual than the rest. And hear this this morning, God doesn't want anything to do with that. Now, if you're new this morning, welcome. Um, <clears throat> we've been going through this little letter to a little urban church in first century Corinth, and time and again, they blow it because they make it all about them and their ego and their individual plans and their individual gifts and their individual potential. And sure, these Corinthian Christians, they had a lot going for them. They were in one of those rare spaces in the first century where social mobility was actually possible. 
Um, and you know, those kinds of cities, they tend to attract a certain kind of person. They're the kinds of folks who are really talented. They get to know the three skills of the highly promotable employee, and they navigate them. They climb the social ladder, the corporate ladder. They make a difference to get noticed, to gain influence. And then when you throw spiritual gifts into the mix, like the rest of us, they kind of go with what they know. And they begin to organize the spiritual gifts into a hierarchy. And those with the more spectacular gifts are seen as more spiritual. And slowly, those special, spectacular gifts really highlight who's at the top in the church. And everybody's trying to climb the hierarchy. They want to see who has the best show, who has the most insightful words, who has the last word. And spiritual gifts all become about performance instead of service. And it's in this context where Paul reframes how and why God gives his people good gifts. And then he talks about it for three chapters in 1 Corinthians. That should get our attention. (laughs) That's a lot of real estate in scripture about a particular issue. Now, and if you know anything about the history of the church over the past century, then you know few issues have caused the same level of harm and division as the topic of spiritual gifts. So with those two in concert, we're set up for a pretty good conversation, I think. Um, And so the next three weeks after this Sunday, we're going to walk through these three chapters to learn from Paul what and how we are to engage spiritual gifts. Now, there's no doubt spiritual gifts, like those two words, they sound really strange to modern ears, don't they? Oh, spiritual gifts. Like it's something you don't want for your birthday. It just sounds kind of weird. And yet, in following Jesus... In following Jesus, we have to do the hard work of understanding how and why God has gifted us because if we don't, we're in danger of falling back into the same sort of toxic and self-centered spirituality that we find in the church in Corinth in the first century. I don't want that for us. I don't want that for me. So where do we begin? Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. If you wouldn't mind turning with me in your Bibles or your devices. Um, Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, now concerning spiritual gifts, literally spiritual things is the word Paul uses there. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul wants us to know that following Jesus radically transforms what we once thought spiritual means. Being spiritual isn't just employing your talents and your abilities for a God who's some way, somewhere, far out there, silently waiting for you to prove yourself. No. And Paul gives us a paradigm shift. And, and, and for him, it all comes down to understanding who the Holy Spirit is and how he works right here in us. So to begin the conversation, we need to first understand that the greatest spiritual gift is actually the gift of the Spirit. The greatest spiritual gift is actually the gift of the Spirit. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, is talking to his disciples, and he tells them, I'm about to go back to the Father, but I'm not going to abandon you. Instead, I'm going to send someone else. And in John chapter 14, Verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, 
I will ask the Father, and he will give you, this gift language, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And Jesus is making a promise that in Acts 2, after Jesus has died and rose again, the Spirit of God is democratized, meaning everyone who follows Jesus now has the Holy Spirit with them as a gift, as a follower of Jesus. You see, the greatest spiritual gift that you receive the moment you begin following Jesus is the gift of the Spirit. Now that begs the question, how is the Spirit a gift? And is that a gift we want, right? I mean, it, what, what does it mean for the Spirit to be a gift? Well, first, it starts with understanding that the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Anybody like Star Wars? Anyone? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's more closet Star Wars fans out there, but we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. Star Wars. Um, you know, we all know Star Wars is fictional, and yet when we come to the Holy Spirit, we almost use this same framework of an impersonal force when thinking or talking about the Holy Spirit. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves following the footsteps of Yoda rather than the footsteps of Jesus, okay? So the Holy Spirit is a divine person, oftentimes talked about the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A mystery, of course, wrapped in an enigma, no doubt. But how is the Holy Spirit being a person a gift? Those of you who are avid Star Wars fans, you know one of the key phrases that consistently pops up. You see, an impersonal force can be manipulated for good or for ill. That's why you have the dark side, right? And consistently, what is Luke told? Use the force, Luke, right? It's a tool you're supposed to manipulate and use to further your power. But that's not so with the Christian faith. Actually, what we find in the Holy Spirit is a divine person who's proactively seeking our good such that Paul consistently says what to the Christian? Yield to the Spirit, Christian. You see the difference? It's not use the force, it's yield to the Spirit who's actively and proactively pursuing our good. The Holy Spirit is first a he and not an it. Secondly, we see the Holy Spirit pursues Jesus' fame and no one else's. And that's where we start to understand what Paul's talking about here in our passage. Paul says, look, if you want to know something's happening because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is going to be glorified appropriately. If, if the Holy Spirit had a Facebook page, his albums would be full of pics of Jesus, okay? But Paul even gets even more adamant than that in saying that no one can say, no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit's fingerprints all over it. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's so zealous for Jesus that whenever anyone genuinely confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is the Lord of the universe, the Holy Spirit is doing his work. I remember the first time I heard somebody illustrate the role of the Holy Spirit to me and they used the metaphor of a spotlight the Holy Spirit's whole job is to put a spotlight on Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine you're at a play, okay? When you're at a play and somebody is running the lights well, what do you not notice? You don't notice the lights. 
They're meant to be background. They're meant to set up. But what you do notice is the actors come to life because the lights have been managed well. And what we find time and time again within Scripture is that the Holy Spirit puts a spotlight on Jesus who's at center stage. And every time the Holy Spirit's working in and through us, His aim is Jesus. His aim is Jesus. And you know what's absolutely amazing about this divine person? This divine person who also points us consistently to Jesus, the joy of our heart, is that He dwells within us. The Holy Spirit lives inside us if we are followers of Jesus. Paul's already pointed to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, where he says, in talking to Christians, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You know what that means? And this is what Paul's trying to say in these first three verses. You don't wander around aimlessly, trying to please some mute and lifeless God who's out there somewhere. But instead, the Holy Spirit is actively engaged in your life. And as the designer of the universe, of all the places he could choose to pick and find as his dwelling, he chooses to live inside us. Isn't that astounding? It's not just a handshake of greeting. It's not just snuggling up close to you on the couch. God lives inside of us intimately. That is a powerful statement to who he is. When you fudge the numbers... On your taxes, God was there. <laughs> Uh-oh. When, <clears throat> when you were crying yourself to sleep because you thought no one really cares about you, God was there. When you knocked that exam out of the park and you just, you just did such an amazing job, God was there. And every time we glorify the name of Jesus by sharing the gospel, every time we glorify the name of Jesus by sharing a a word of love or encouragement, we actually hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit on our lips. Every time we carry out a good deed for the love of our neighbor and the glory of Jesus, we actually find the Holy Spirit animating our movements. Christian, we're not alone. And the greatest spiritual gift is the gift of the Spirit. Now, let's get real for a second, because how many of us live like that, right? How many of us genuinely live like that? And I want to ask a question that I want you to ask yourself. Do you live like you're on your own? Do you live like you're on your own? And there are two telltale signs as to whether you're really living on your own. And they come at the peak of success or the valley of failure. Right? When, you, when you had that last moment, that last experience of success, was your first response to give thanks to God for how he helped you through it or was it to focus and consume yourself with patting yourself on your back? Do you live like you're on your own? Maybe on a different side, maybe in your personality, you always feel like you're a burden to other people. You can never imagine how you're actually gifted. You can never think and receive a compliment for others. You don't understand how the Holy Spirit could dwell within you and work through you. Do you live like you're on your own? Maybe failure crushes you. Now, there's a reality in all of us that if we drop the ball in any aspect of our lives, we feel a sense of loss, don't we? But if success is everything and success is where we find our identity and it's all by our doing, when we fail, it crushes us. 
When you fail, are you crushed? When you fall to temptation, do you feel like God's abandoned you? When temptation does come, is your first thought, well, no one else is around. It's not going to hurt anyone. Do you live like you're on your own? The greatest spiritual gift is the gift of the Spirit. And if you're a Christian, He's yours today. It's not something you have to go looking for, but He dwells within you today. He isn't mute. He isn't motionless. He's actively engaged in your life for your good. And He's pointing us to Jesus. He's not out there somewhere, but He lives inside of us. Do you live like you're on your own? Now, if we can get this down, then we're on a, on a good trajectory to know what to do with spiritual gifts. But if we don't get this down, if we miss this, we're going to make a mess of everything else that's going to come thereafter. You see, the greatest spiritual gift that each Christian has been given is the gift of the Spirit. And then the gift of the Spirit is that the Spirit gives good gifts to you. The Spirit gives good gifts to you. Look with me now at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what's Paul getting at with this confusing list of gifts? Okay, um, and, and it's not as much clear as it almost feels rhetorical in the repetition that Paul's using here as he's talking. And the other component is this list of gifts isn't something we would normally find in our Strengths Finders assessment tool, right? Okay, so what do we do? I think the first thing we need to do is come up with a shared definition as to what a spiritual gift is. Now, for Paul, when he's talking to the church in Corinth, they, he's assuming they understand what he's talking about, mainly because he planted this church in Corinth. He spent years with them in Corinth, and so he spent time teaching them. He'd probably talk to them about spiritual gifts and the role of the Spirit in their life. But since we weren't there, we have to do a little more digging and do a little more work to come up with a cohesive definition for us to navigate what Paul's saying well. And here's where we've landed. And, and I'd encourage you, if you've got a note sheet or you're using your phone or wherever to take notes, to write this down, because we're going to be using this as a benchmark over the next four weeks. Um, and here's the definition. A spiritual gift is a Holy Spirit-empowered ability freely given to the believer for the purpose of serving others and building up the church for the common good of all. Look, I know that's a little wordy, right? But hopefully it's straightforward enough. Another tact we could have gone is to list out the various gifts that are listed throughout the different letters in Scripture. And there's a place for that. The hard part with just going and walking through all the various gifts that we find across the pages of Scripture is it doesn't seem like the authors of Scripture are trying to give you an exhaustive list, but rather are giving you examples. So what do I mean? Even in our passage, right, Paul lists among other things, but tongues, healing, and prophecy... 
these are the ones we'd kind of expect when we start thinking of spiritual gifts, right? They've got this otherworldly component. They have a supernatural flair to them, right? But then if you look in another one of Paul's letters written to another church, he lists other gifts like leadership, generosity, and administration. <laughs> Those seem a little more ordinary, don't they? And, and actually, we see them in folks who aren't following Jesus, people who are really gifted at leadership, really gifted at administration or generosity. And this begs the question, what, where do spiritual gifts come from? Are they something that's given to you the moment you begin following Jesus that you never had before? Or are they hardwired into your DNA when God is designing you from the beginning and as you begin to follow Jesus, they're accentuated with the presence of the Spirit? Well, that's not clear in Scripture. Good questions, but what is clear? Here's what's clear on the source of every gift is that the Spirit is the one source of every gift. The Spirit is the one source of every gift. Look at the repetition in our text. There's varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Given through the Spirit, according to the Spirit, the one Spirit, the same Spirit, empowered by the one and same Spirit. And you know what that means? Is that arrogance and pride doesn't have a leg to stand on within the church. Because every gift isn't from us. Nowhere can we stand up and say, look how I'm gifted, because it's not found in its origination in us. It's been given by the Spirit. And to cultivate a community of unity and humility, we submit that those gifts have been given to us by someone else, not by us. And it levels the playing field. But not only is the Spirit the one source of every gift, we come to also see that the Spirit gives different gifts to different people. And it starts to make sense, at least it does for me, as to why Paul is giving this list. And notice the repetition again. To another this, and to another that, and to another this. Because in Corinth, remember, everything was about the one gift in the hierarchy. And what Paul's saying is, look, the Spirit gives different gifts to different people, and it's the same Spirit behind every single gift. So nobody has a place to stand and say that they're better than the other. It's meant to cultivate unity and focus. And it's the Holy Spirit who equally empowers them all. The Corinthian church context is a really good warning for us as soon as we begin to forget that. One of the major reasons Paul's writing is because they thought if you didn't have the gift of tongues, that's one of those key gifts that they were wrestling through. And we're going to talk about that gift in a couple weeks. If you didn't have the gift of tongues, then you weren't reaching your full Christian potential. And the church in Corinth, if you didn't have the gift of tongues, then you were less spiritual. And I could see how they could get there. If tongues is this special prayer language between you and God, and I didn't have one and you had one, I'd feel kind of on the outside, right? It's like, oh, that's neat that you and God have that thing going on. I, you know, why didn't God give me that? And of course, the slowly, you know, this rumor goes around that if you don't have the gift of tongues, then you're really not that spiritual and you're not on the in with God. Well, Paul is combating that. And every church today still has their favorites, don't they? There are some churches around who still see the miraculous gifts as their favorites. Healing, prophecy, everybody's got to have tongues, whatever that might mean. There are other churches who have their favorites of leadership, administration, and generosity. That might be a little more Christ community. <laughs> and if we lean too heavily with favorites in one direction, we actually do it to the detriment to the full 
gifting that God has provided his body. Such that in every generation and in every time, these words are relevant for every church. The Spirit is the one source of every gift, and He is the one who gives different gifts to different people so that in its diversity, the church might flourish together. But to do that, we need to ask ourselves, okay, how has God uniquely gifted me in the midst of this diversity, right? This is a key question we like to jump to, and it's an important question, and I want to ask it of you this morning. Do you know what gifts the Spirit has given you? Do you know the gifts the Spirit has given you? Because if we don't answer that question, we'll never be half the church God has called us to be. And I want to help us practically work through that. There was a, a really helpful framework that I recently found from pastor and author Tim Keller in New York City. And, and this particular framework, once again, might be helpful to re-engage um, as we journey together over these next three to four weeks. So underneath your definition of spiritual gifts, you might want to jot these three down um, as we're thinking about it over these next couple weeks as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians. First step is to look out. Not a dangerous like warning, but to, to look out in the community and see what needs are there. That's not normally our first step when we're having a conversation about spiritual gifts, is it? I remember when we first launched the downtown campus, I received an email from someone. I couldn't find the email, but it left an imprint on my mind that I was easily able to reproduce it. Um, and this is what the email said. Dear Pastor Coyle, I'm currently looking for a church home. I'm also a gifted singer who is accomplished in the realm of opera and would like to know whether there was a place for me to exercise my gift in the congregation before I commit to coming on a Sunday. If not regularly, then I'm also free to sing a special song during your service at no cost. That was really helpful. That's good to budget. My MySpace page is linked below. Oh, <laughs> blessings in the love of Christ, Betty, or, you know, whatever her name was. But needless to say, that email didn't go anywhere, okay? And, and I don't want you to hear, me to hear me saying that we need to ignore what we're good at when it comes to spiritual gifts. It just can't be our first question we ask. You see, as Christians, the first question we ask isn't, okay, how am I good? Because we're going to actually miss it and misunderstanding what spiritual gifts are for. In the church, we first look out at what are the needs in the community and how God has set us in a community to see where there are holes and how we might fit in and fill in. Personal comfort and personal fulfillment are our ultimate as Christians. Instead, being a part of community, seeing the needs, and then asking, okay, why has God put me here and how can I help? That's the first question. Why? And it, here, let me just put this on the table. It's not so that I can get people to do the things that nobody else wants to do in the church. Ah, it would have been a good plan. Uh, <clears throat> but that's not why. Instead, seeing a need and asking how you can fit in is an opportunity to discover something new about yourself. It's an opportunity to discover something new about yourself. I want you to think, when, how do you know you're good at something? How do you know you're even gifted at something? It's because you've done it before and someone gave you affirmation or you felt like you really flourished in doing it, right? At one point, you took a step out of your comfort zone and tried something new and then you experienced, you know what, this, I might actually be pretty good at this. Or hey, people are coming around, you're really good at that, way to go. And so when we first ask the question, what are the needs in the community and how can I fill in? 
and we try new experiences, we're actually going to discover new things about ourselves. maybe reveal gifts within us that have been dormant because we've been leaning in the things we've tried before instead of trying new ways of serving in the church. So step one, always with spiritual gifts, is to look out, to look out. Secondly, look in. And now you've got this whole list of activities and you've got a portfolio of experiences by which you can begin to ask some really thoughtful questions. So in what I've tried, what was really easy to jump into? You know, in what I've tried before, I just received a lot of affirmation doing this. It just seems like people are noticing something in me. Or maybe, hey, that was really hard, but God really blessed the work of my hands. Because let me get this clear in on the table. Just because something's hard doesn't mean you're not gifted at it. It actually might be hard for everyone. And some people are gifted to push through the hardness and still God blesses the work of their hands. And to help us all look a little better, let me say that differently. For all of us to look better within, um, we've actually provided an assessment tool. Um, You either got an email about it or it's on the website if you didn't get the email and you're going to be talking about it within your community groups. But this is an assessment tool to start the conversation. I just want you to know from the get-go, no tool, no spiritual gifts assessment tool can define you to the T. If this overinflates your confidence or crushes you, you're missing the point. This tool is meant to be a conversation starter, okay? Notice what it affirms. Notice any surprises. Notice where you're really disappointed and then ask the question, why? Why? And after you've looked out, after you've looked in, the last step has to be look around. Look around. And this is where communal feedback is so critical. This is why we're asking you to do this within your community groups with people who maybe know you a little bit better. And it's very difficult at times. But one of the great gifts of asking for communal feedback is people will see things in you that you didn't see in yourself. There are probably gifts latent within you that someone says, you know what, you're such an encouraging person. I would say just follow your gut. And when, when, when there are opportunities for you to encourage someone, just lean into that. You just seem like you've got a real gift for encouragement. Really? I've never noticed that about myself. Yeah, just lean into that. Now, the flip side is the reason we don't invite community into this is because there are times the community says we're not good at something, right? They see something in you, and you've got this great desire, this great plan, and they say, buddy, no, that's just not going to jive with your personality. That's not going to fit you. I'm sorry, but as we're sitting around, we think we're set, you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, and the great gift that's in that, even though it's really hard to hear the great gift, It's in those moments when we lean into community that we save ourselves months of wasted or maybe even years of wasted energy and heartache by listening to honest folks. Because here's the deal. We've all got blind spots in our life, don't we? And if you don't think you've got a blind spot, you've just proved my point. (laughs) We've all got blind spots and we need others to be speaking into our lives and have courage to hear what others have to say and even courage to say the hard things to others as well. Now, the reason we start with looking out and we end with looking around, really this emphasis on community is because ultimately our gifts aren't for us. While your gifts fit you, they're not for you. At least not ultimately. Your gifts fit you, but they're not for you. 
Paul says in chapter 12, verse 7, what does he say? He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the building up of your self-esteem. No. Oh, for your exclusive good. No, for the common good. It's in pursuing the good of God's church and actually that we then therefore glorify the head of the church, Jesus, that we therefore find our good. You see? If it's just about me looking good or me building myself up, we're going to miss it and we're going to abuse the spiritual gift that we've been given. Remember, the Spirit's role is to put a spotlight on one person and one person only, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who lived the life we couldn't live in perfection. He died the death we deserve to die. He paid our penalty, and then in his resurrection, extended generosity to give all who follow him the gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. And now the Spirit continues that generosity by giving us spiritual gifts, but not for our brilliance but to make Jesus brilliant. And whenever we make our gifts about us, it's like we're trying to tackle and take center stage. Imagine that. Jesus standing center stage, the light brilliantly shining upon him, and then we stand in front. And the rest of the world awkwardly looks on and mocks the church when that happens because they say, oh, they're just like us. All they really care about is looking good or feeling good or putting themselves on the top. And like any off-Broadway show that consistently gets bad reviews, people stop caring. And the church gets slandered, and Jesus Christ is therefore slandered to the world. And that's what Paul's tackling here in the church in Corinth. That's what we're in danger of. You see, the greatest spiritual gift is the gift of the Spirit that has been given to every Christian. And the Spirit gives good gifts to you. And while they fit you, they aren't for you. If we can start there and beginning this four-week discussion on spiritual gifts as we follow Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians, we're going to be set up for success. Now, I know there's a lot more we could say about the use and abuse of spiritual gifts, and we're going to be doing that as we continue these next three chapters in 1 Corinthians over these next three weeks, and I hope you're able to join us. Um, I want to give you a quick roadmap, though, as to where we're headed. Today, this is our launching pad. Next week, we're going to dive deeper into seeing how our gifts are hardwired for collaboration. There's a reason we're called together and not alone. Two weeks out, we're going to see the key motivation that needs to reside behind every activity of our spiritual gifts if it's genuinely to be a gift to the church. And then lastly, we're going to see how every spiritual gift is targeted towards the edification of the church. Okay? Look, I, I, I think... I'm excited for this series. Um, this is something you're not going to want to miss. Um, I don't want to miss it. I'm excited to learn from Paul and learn together. If you've got plans to travel, you can listen online, and I'd encourage you to do it that way. If you're going to miss your community group, email your leader. Get the questions from them. Work through them on your own. Because here's the deal. This is more than a sermon series. This is an opportunity for us as a church to get more healthy. I want that for you, I want that for me, I want that for us, and it's going to take each and every one of us to do it. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit, that he dwells within us, he's working in us, and that you've spoken through your word. We don't serve mute idols aimlessly, however we once were led 
but now we are proactively led by the Holy Spirit, God. And when Jesus is glorified as Lord, we can be sure that the Spirit is working. May our sights be set on Christ. May He be glorified. May we live as if within the reality and the truth of the promise that you live within us. And may you give us diligence to frame our schedules in such a way that we make time to consistently hear from your word and engage one another for the health of your church and then ultimately the glory of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.